Hey, everybody. Welcome to Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Brian April. And as always, our podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. You can check out the video versions on Facebook and on YouTube. And if you have any questions or comments about the episodes, please feel free. We love feedback. Uh, leave them down in the comments below. Or I stream uh, live streams three times a week on Twitch, and you can find me there on www.twitch.tv slash comedy brian you can also find me on facebook.com comedy brian and youtube.com slash comedy brian uh we're gonna get right into it my guest today is a a, a veteran a comedian i've uh, been performing all over the globe uh he's wins festivals tv you name it this guy has done it all he's one of my favorite people to work with he's a, a very very powerful and funny uh comedian and i absolutely just love uh working with him and i'm excited to get the chance to talk to him today so please welcome the extremely funny mr trenton davis trenton hey thank you man i i, I was listening to your intro and i was like Who's, who else you got interviewed <laughs> <laughs> how you doing uh, I'm doing well, man. Uh, what I what I love about uh, your comedy and what I love about doing shows with you is you have this incredible energy on stage. You you are a very powerful performer. You're very um, comfortable performer. So you're powerful without being over the top, like energetic and spastic. Right. You have this great presence. Um, your jokes have this this fine line of like going right to the edge of bringing people to uncomfortable, yes. and then you just pop them with a really good punchline and you get these huge, huge uh, laughs, whether it's in a, in a church setting or, or whether it's in a club setting. And I just, you know, I, I always see you just absolutely destroy the rooms and you, you always give it your all and you always are a true professional and a true businessman of, of comedy. And I, I, I love that so much about you and you're, you're, you're very humble and down to earth as well. And yeah, I just really uh, thank you so much for coming on today, man. No, I appreciate I, it. I appreciate you having me. I, I want to. I don't. I don't know who the listeners are, but if if by any chance there's uh, younger comedians, uh, what you said, I appreciate it and I value it, and it, and it makes me feel good. So thank you. Uh, I remember I had a, a mentor tell me a, a mentor in Chicago, and I'm 43, so he's 83, but he wow. said to me, um, "If it doesn't matter if the audience is seven people or 700 people." He said, always perform like it's a huge audience for a couple of reasons. One, if it's seven people, don't take it out on them that the rest of the people didn't come. He said, that's not their fault. They showed up, right? Uh, but two, I've always found you really determine how good your writing is when it's a crowd of like six or seven people, right? It's mm-hmm. People don't think it. It's way harder to make seven <laughs> people laugh than it is a thousand. thousand oh, absolutely. That's an easy, because think about it. Out of a thousand people, if you get half of them to laugh, you still got 500 people laughing, right? If, if you got seven people and only two or three are laughing, you know only two or three are laughing, right? <laughs> so, um, and so those small audiences, I appreciate you saying that because those small audiences are the way I go in and say, oh, I'm going to work on this joke, I'm going to work on that joke and see if the writing is good, right? And see mm. if, I think all of us have a way of, we can make the joke good by doing different things and blah, blah, blah. The question is, is the writing on itself good? By itself, if somebody just read it on a tweet, would it be good? So I appreciate you saying that, Matt. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, it's funny, I was just talking uh, a couple interviews uh, prior to this. We were talking about this exact same thing, whether it's seven or 700. You know, you get the same show, you give them, you know, all of that. Um, And uh, just as a heads up, this is for both comedians and it's for people who just love comedy. So it's a little bit of both. We give some insight, we give some background and some behind the scenes stuff. And so... 
so let's get into a, a little bit about um, uh, your background. How long have you been performing, by the way? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, and I'm going to answer it because we're on a podcast and we got time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the true answer. So my first time ever, ever doing comedy was in 1997. However, I don't claim two decades of comedy because, as you know, there's a difference between open micing and, and just going once a year or what, twice a year and really chasing it, right? So right. between 1997 and 2007, between those two decades, between that decade, I graduated college, got married, got a job, and comedy, to be honest, was not my priority. I, I, I did what my parents told me to do, go to college, get get a job, get married. And I did those things and realized I was not happy. And so um, around 05, 06, I said, hey, I'm not happy. I need, to, I need to figure out what it is I love. And then 06, 07 is when I discovered, I said, okay, I'm going to really, actually it was Memorial Day of 2007. I know the weekend. It was a Sunday, Memorial Day, 2007. I, that was when I made the switch of doing comedy, like really chasing it. And so mm -hmm. for the people that may not understand what I mean is between 97 and 2007, all total, total, maybe I did 20 shows. So in a decade, maybe I did 20 shows. And from 2007 until COVID, I averaged 200 shows a year, right? So that's mm -hmm. the difference, right? Um, is is I, I, don't, I don't use 1997 as when I started. I used 2007 as my start date. So in that respect, I would say I've been doing it about 13 years. Gotcha. I, I'm actually right there with you. I, I have yeah. a very similar story. I started in 91 and I did it off and on and then I kind of faded out. And then in yeah. 97, I started the chase. And so Boy, I, just yeah. did, I just did my 23 years uh, last week. So it's pretty Congrats, funny. Man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't done anything in six months, but uh, <laughs> you, you started in Boston, right? Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, start, started in Boston. So, so tell us a little bit about like what um, what inspired you or who inspired you to start performing. Yeah, and and I I always give this uh, disclaimer when I'm asked this question, which is, look, I didn't. No, none of us could tell the future, but the truth is, the person that inspired me the most was Bill Cosby. Yeah. Um, I can remember young. African American, so I'm the youngest of three. So I can remember every single Thursday, my entire family uh, huddled up in the living room, my dad on one couch, my mom on the love seat, and the kids in the floor watching the Cosby show. And it was Cosby show, and then it was uh, uh, in um, Different World. And that was our Thursday. And it would be pizza night, and we would, as a family, laugh until, you know, until it hurt. And so what I learned subconsciously, I didn't know this, but what I learned is, Laughter brings people together. And so Bill Cosby was my biggest influence by far. And, and I'm awesome to say that in 2014, I got a chance to meet him. Yeah, I got a chance to meet him. I was doing, um, maybe it was even 13, but I was doing Helium, 4th of July weekend. Uh, Helium at that time did not have a Sunday show, so I was going home early Sunday morning. When I say early, I was at the airport at like 5 a.m., 6 a.m. I'm walking through the airport 5 to 6 a.m., and who do I run into but Bill Cosby? And I realized it was 6 a.m., but I said, you know what, Trenton? You may never get a chance to meet him again. You, you may, And he had no security or nothing. I walked up to him, Mr. Cosby, I'm a comedian. I just finished performing at Helium. I loved him. Nicest guy in the world. Now, he didn't put anything in my drink, but he was the nicest guy <laughs> in the world. 
uh, took a picture with me. I, I post that picture once a year. It's, it's not as popular now as it is, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe three years ago. But, you know, that's a whole nother conversation we could have, Brian. But I, I, I right. firmly believe you have to be able to separate the man from the art mm-hmm. because it, the truth is, you know, none of us are none of us. If we really go hard enough, none of us are 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 unscathed. Everybody has some things in the closet that we don't want to be on the front page. So, right. Yeah, and it, disclaimer, I'm not saying it's okay what he did. <laughs> Women, I'm not saying it's okay. I am not, but I'm just saying that's how I'm able to uh, to rationalize him still being my idol. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's funny because, you know, we, we talk about that in a lot of comics. We, we all kind of feel like, oh, man, I, you know, he was a, such a huge influence. Now I feel like I can't say it. But it's like, none of, again, none of us knew. Right, no one knew. Right. Yeah. So it's. It's not like you knew and you were like, oh, he's, he's my buddy. You know, like it's, it's right. not that at all. He fooled everybody. So, you know. It's, and I, I probably get in trouble for saying this, but whatever. It's not like we know who Trump is and still half the country continues to vote for him. It wasn't like that, right? It wasn't right. like it was like we don't know who he is. We find out if I'm honest, we found out two decades later and right. then we're supposed to then retroactively unlike everything that we fell in love with. Right. But that, that two hour special Bill Cosby himself, Ugh. I would argue, and I'm, I'm willing to argue the best special ever. I, and you can include Richard Pryor. You can include Patrice O'Neill to do something for two hours and have everybody in stitches. Mm. I, I'd go up against Dave Chappelle. I don't, who, who has two hours in that one special? That's that good. I, I yeah. don't know. You know, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a top uh, top three for me. Yeah. It, yeah. It's right up there with uh, Delirious uh, yeah. by Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And I really like um, Eddie Izzard's um, Dress to Kill. OK, uh, if you haven't okay. seen that, that's really good. But the, I mean, um, and even I would probably say top five would be, um, gosh, what's his name from um, TV? Uh, goodness. Uh, Paul, Paul Blart Malkop. Why can't I think oh. of his name is his special good? Yeah, his uh, "Don't Sweat the Small Stuff." I yeah. can think of everything but his name right now, which is killing me. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, James, Kevin, 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 Kevin uh, James. Yeah, Kevin yeah. James. So it was like James, yeah. James. Yeah, Kevin James. Wow, yeah. man. But whew, I gotta stop taking this medication. It's killing, <laughs> sure. it's killing my memory. <laughs> no, I but, mean, I, I don't. Oh gosh, I, I don't know if I've ever sat down to think about my top five uh, specials, and I wouldn't put them in any, any sort of order. Right. What I will say is uh, definitely Bill Cosby. Patrice O'Neill's Elephant in the Room, oh, to me, is so the best good. one in the last 10 years. I, I really believe it, 10, 15 years. Well, what I love about Patrice was he and you kind of have this vibe, too. Uh, and so it's for, for me, this is to, uh, a compliment to, uh, to give. You, He would love making people uncomfortable. You <laughs> go to that line and kind of, like, dip your toe in, but he would yeah. just, like. Oh, he put his foot in. Yeah, oh, he yeah, he, he just knock it down. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I did, uh, I did several shows with him uh, out in Boston because he was, yeah. So I got to work with him uh, oh. at least like seven, eight weeks uh, oh. before. Yeah. Are you um, serious? Like, yeah. Like, when you say seven, eight weeks, you mean like a full weekend? Like you? Yeah. Host oh yeah. Season? Yeah, be oh, the opener. Man. Yeah. And then he would come host the showcases because in Boston, when they would come do a weekend, the yeah. the host would. Uh, the headliner would host the Thursday and the Sunday shows. They would do okay. showcases. 
Okay. And so then they would headline the, you know, Friday, Saturday, and then host Sunday. Wow. And so I, I was going through that and then I would either open or, you know, uh, I wasn't featuring too much at that time for him, but okay. I could feature one for him. And Dude, he was just, amazing. yeah, he loved, loved making people uncomfortable. So yeah. it's so funny. <laughs> and he would just bust your chops from the stage and didn't yeah. matter who you were. And uh, I, I think I've said this on here before. The first time I ever worked with him, he was hosting and I went up and had a good set. And then right after he goes, oh, goes Brian April. That's funny. He's not normally that good. And like I'd never <laughs> met him before. So like he just totally liked to, to just like dig you, you know. Oh. Um, but yeah, I remember I gave him rides home to his place because he lived in Boston for a while and oh. you know, staying in Jamaica Plain and, and so lots of lots of fun stories with uh, oh, with Patrice. Man. So Brian, that's I loved. Cool, man. I, I've known you for at least uh, at least let's say six years, and I never knew that. That is awesome. Yeah. That is. I'm just wondering. You got any pictures with him or anything? I don't know that I do at this point because it wasn't yeah. digital at that point. It was still yeah, like the. We didn't have phones and everybody's taking pictures. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. That is. Yeah, cool, and, man. and I had that with uh, Richard Jenny too. I, I got a picture with Richard Jenny, and I, uh, I don't know what happened to the picture because oh. he was one of my idols. So I was like, yeah. ah, I lost it. That is but, so uh, cool, man. Awesome for you. That is really cool. Yeah, so um, it was it's cool. I love I love comedy and um, and I just remember starting out in the beginning. Do you remember your first show back in uh, like twenty six two thousand six? Yeah, um, huh? Yeah, so so when I decided and and if, if you give me the um, the latitude, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about that story. So long story short, I'm putting out to the universe. Hey, I, I'm not happy with the day job. I gotta find something. I gotta find my mark. How do I find my mark? And I, I was taking acting classes. And I, like I said, I was doing comedy. I was mostly doing comedy in church and for weddings. So I had to, I was clean. And uh, and long story short, like I said, I was putting it out there. Well, I was dating a young lady. I was, li I was living in Chicago. I was dating a young lady. And she said, hey, Trenton, let's go to California. I got I to gotta go do some headshots and, and talk to some agents. Let's just spend a weekend in California, Memorial Day week. I said, yeah, cool. I'll go. I didn't. And I again, I'm not in comedy, so I don't know anything about a comedy club. I'm I'm not in comedy, so it's the Sunday of Memorial Day, and she says, uh, she says, "Hey, why don't we go to a comedy club?" And again, I'm not in comedy, so I'm like, "Yeah, cool." Because now, if somebody asks me to go to a comedy club, I'd say, "I'm in a comedy club 200 nights a year." Let's do exactly. But then I was in a comedy club maybe two nights a year, so yeah, let's go. Fine, it'll be fun to go and. Of course we go. Of course we sit right in the front. Of course she's attractive and I decide to wear a pink shirt. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm just not knowing, now I know, but not knowing I'm a target waiting to get blasted by the host. And ironically enough, Brian, we go to the ice house. And I didn't know that what the ice house was. It could have been, you know, it could have been Ray's Chuckle Hut, right? I didn't right. know it was this popular, historic staple of L.A. comedy. And so we go where I know now because I've been there a hundred times. But at the time I go, I'm in the main room and a comedian comes out. And again, I'm in a pink shirt and I'm with an attractive girl. And we just say, what are you doing with her? And he's clowning me and everybody's laughing. And I took it in good spirits. It never bothered me. But while he's talking, and I'm not making this up, while he's talking, the universe or God or the creator or my subconscious, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it, said to me very clearly, why are you not on stage? Hmm. And, and it was so clear. I looked around like, did anybody else hear? It was like a movie. I was like, did anybody? What? It was like Field of Dreams. 
if you build it here, it's like, why are you not on stage? And from that Sunday, like I said, from that Sunday all the way to COVID, it had not been more than five days straight that I was not on some stage somewhere. Wow. So, so to answer your question, I come home that Sunday. We come home on Monday. I enroll in a comedy class. This guy named Dave Odd in Chicago. And he, he follows me, so it's possible he can see this. <laughs> he gave a comedy class at the uh, like Center for Performing Arts or something in Chicago. And I was like, all right, I didn't know what to do. So I took, up, took his class and you show up for his class every week for six weeks. And at the end, like everybody, you have a graduation show. So my first show after that was that graduation show. And, and the funny thing I'll say, and then I'll quit talking, is I remember having to do five minutes. And Brian, you know as well as I do, five minutes felt like an eternity. I mm-hmm. remember writing it out and I was like, oh, all I got is like 343. <laughs> right? I just, I just, it just felt like an eternity. And I go and I think I did five or six minutes and uh, and I did, you know, I did as well as a newcomer could be. Let me make sure I say, I did not destroy yeah. my first, <laughs> My first time, probably my first two or five years, to be honest. But I did well as a newcomer, and, and that gave me the um, gave me the bug. And ever since then, man, I've been chasing that illustrious first laugh. That's funny. Do you um, were you at that time going? Well, let's see, it's three forty three, but with laughter, that should get me to five. <laughs> I, I wasn't there yet because I didn't even know about laughter. That's how new I was. I didn't even. I didn't know. Oh God, I was bad. I, and I, just to give a, a understanding of how bad I was. I had a colostomy bag joke in which I taped a Ziploc bag to my stomach and I put in the Ziploc bag, seven up and uh, yeah, so seven up and a Snickers bar. (laughs) (laughs) It was bad, Brian. It was bad. That's why, in all honesty, I never give a person a hard time about bombing. And I never give a newcomer a hard. And I tell people, the audience always says the same thing. Right? Audience says, oh, you were my favorite. You were way better than him. And I say, no, 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 no. So it says, believe it or not, in comedy, it's no such thing as better or worse. I said, what it is, is experienced or less experienced. Right? Because it doesn't necessarily mean I'm better. It's just I've now got 13, 14 years. And so if you compare me to somebody with two, I should be stronger. You should right. be, you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, yeah, man. That, that I would say from 07 to 2010, 2011 was my freshman year. I was taking my licks. I I would average one good show for every three or four bad ones. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's how to, and you just chase those good ones. Real quick, I want to touch back on something you you said in in your story. Um, Wearing the pink shirt and can you just give people who who are fans of comedy or go out to comedy shows some uh, advice on because everyone always goes, oh, I don't want to get picked on. I don't want to get yeah. picked on. Can you just give them a little bit of an overview of like, here's what not to do to get picked on? <laughs> yes, hundred percent. I, I, that's a great question. I, first things first. Let, let's just say this. I would say ninety five percent of comedians have no interest in talking about you. That is the biggest pet peeve that comedians that me. get. Day in day, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna, this is gonna be in your next set. This is gonna be your bit. And it's like, no. And this is the truth. And I don't mean this bad. Most comedians have a touch of ego and have a touch of 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 uh, arrogance around them that says, I want to talk about what I want to talk about. And uh, you know, Craig from you know Spectrum, you're not it. Like I have no interest in talking about you. I only get 
20 minutes of stage time. You're not important <laughs> enough for me to talk about. I apologize. You're that's not good. For me to talk about. So that's A. Most people don't want to talk about you. B, the best way to get picked on is just talking back to the comedian. Even though we we as comedians may ask a question, this is a monologue. Unless he or she specifically says answer, even the question I'm asking is a rhetorical question. Do not answer. And, and the last thing I'll say to that end, and this is funny because I talk about this often, with just society and just stereotypes, people think stereotype-wise the worst audience members are Black women. People always say, oh, yeah, Black women, they loud, blah, blah, blah. They don't. No. And you probably agree with this, especially in Boston. The absolute worst audience member for me to deal with consistently, I'm not talking about one-time people. I'm talking about 13 years, 10,000 hours of data. The absolute worst audience member is an attractive, middle-aged soccer mom that's had two glasses of wine or more. Mm -hmm. She is the worst. Because, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to curse on this one, nobody has ever told an attractive white woman to shut the bleep up. <laughs> Nobody's ever told her that. Everybody's always wanted to make love to her and sleep with her. So she's not used to someone telling her to shut up. And so when we do, A, she's offended. Then she expects everybody in her party to be offended right with her. So now she's sitting up in the front and she's mad. She's not going to laugh at anything. You could go down and tickle her yourself and she wouldn't laugh. And not only that, she doesn't want anybody at her table to laugh. You better not laugh, Karen. Karen, you better not laugh. And that, so they are the absolute worst. So that's a long yeah. answer to a short question. Yeah. That's and right. I think, I, and if I could throw one more uh, group in there, uh, the bachelorette party. Oh, the worst. <laughs> yes, the worst. The worst. Yes. Well, it's all about me, my special day. Oh, no, it no, is. Not. Exactly. When I <laughs> no, see the bachelorette party, I try my best to not make eye contact. I don't look at them. If they're in the middle, I talk to this side of the state. I don't even want to deal with them. I don't even want to yeah. deal with them. Yeah, I, I'll tell the host, I'm like, look, can you just please just acknowledge them, get it out of the way, just take the bullet and yeah. you know, so we can, the rest of us can move on. We can move on. I, I agree. I agree. And you know, what's always sad. I'm not, not necessarily the bachelorette party, but just the, 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 the uh, middle-aged attractive white woman who's had two glasses of wine. You know, what's the saddest is the guy more, more than likely the husband that she's with is so embarrassed. He's like, oh. And he's like, please shut up. And she just, I've, I've seen a woman get on stage and try to fight a comedian. She was drunk with the, uh, the ha-ha in North Hollywood. She okay. Drunk, tried to get on stage and fight the comedian. They, they are by far the worst. Not even close. Yeah. By far the worst. It's, 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 uh, and when fights do break out, it's generally because, I don't want to stereotype or generalize, but it's generally because of women. Yes. You know? yes. You're going to let him talk to me like that? You're yeah. going to let him talk to me like that? Yes. <laughs> I was at, uh, I don't know where I was. I was at different places, but I remember I, I saw a woman throw a glass at a comic on stage. I mean, again, I'm not, to, to your point, I hate the stereotype, but this is my truth. I've seen this yeah. happen. Like, I've never seen an African-American woman get mad, start talking back, and go get on stage or throw a drink. I've seen them get mad, blah, 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 but not like not to that level. Because right. part of it is privilege of America, right? And the privilege of America is at the top of the pecking order is white women. Let's just call it what it is, you know? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a thing. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So um, so how long did uh, it take, you said, from probably 2007, 2010, you, you took your lumps, 
Yeah. Is that about when things started to click for you? About 2010, we start to yeah. even out and a little more consistent. Yeah, I'd say 2000, 2007 to 2010, 2011 was um, that was the biggest. That was the go from um, not even host to go from open mic to host to feature. So 2010, I moved to San Francisco. One of the best things that could happen in my comedy career, because in Chicago, I learned how to be a performer. San Francisco, I learned how to be a writer. San Francisco, mm. I would argue, is some of the smartest population in the country. I'd say San Francisco, Seattle, and then probably upper Northeast, right? So Boston, uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island, like any, anywhere where you got a lot of educated people. Also, not to stereotype, anywhere where you have a high um, uh, homosexual population, what you have is people that are dual income, no kids, and, and multi-level multi of education. So not just a bachelor's degree, but probably a master's, maybe even a PhD. And so you could not, I, in Chicago, I could lean on perhaps racial humor. I could lean mm -hmm. on perhaps crude humor, you know, a fart joke or a poop joke. But trying to do that in San Francisco didn't float, right? Didn't float. And, and just, I'm going I'm to segue to a different story. I opened for, and I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this. I hope I, I opened for Pablo Francisco. And, and I had two weekends straight. So we had one weekend in San Francisco. Very next weekend was in Sacramento. If anybody knows the Bay Area, San Francisco and Sacramento are an hour and a half away. They may as well be world apart. It may as well be Venus and Mars. It's that different even though it's only 90 miles away. We do San Francisco, again, very smart population. If anybody has seen Pablo's material, Pablo's very funny, one of the nicest guys in comedy, brought mm -hmm. me along, so I have nothing bad to say about him. A lot of his material is mad TV, right? So it's poop jokes and fart, and he's making noises, and, and it's great if that's what you want. San Francisco, every night he walked half the audience. Every wow. night he walked half the audience. Now, here we go, so that goes Thursday through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off. Thursday through Sunday, the next weekend, he's in Sacramento. When I say he destroyed, sold out every night, people were standing ovation every night. People had signs up, girls, signs. You would have thought it was a rock band. You would have thought it was Aerosmith, right? They had, we love you, Pablo! Wow. And, and Brian, you know, exact same material. Yep. Exact same material. So, San Francisco taught me how to write. And I got to San Francisco and learned how to really craft a joke, you know, premise, set up, punch, um, really write smart, not write about race, write about what the people don't see. So in other words, everybody can see I'm black, write about what they don't see, right? Write about my insecurities and blah, blah, blah. And so mm -hmm. that's what that did. And so about 2011, I began featuring. And then I'd say about 2015 or 16, I became headlining on a regular basis. Mm. Yeah, that's and and you again were putting in 200, 200 uh, shows yeah, for sure or more or more. You know, yeah, and I yeah. think that's what a lot of comics really have to understand is you got to get those reps in. You have to get them. I, you know, you and I have talked about it behind you know behind the the stage or backstage or whatever. But uh, the the was it, is it Eckhart Tolle? I think it's Eckhart Tolle. But uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry, Malcolm Gladwell talked about ten thousand hours. Yes, and I believe it. All day long. And it used to be one of my hashtags on every post was 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours. And so to put it in perspective, uh, I have a right now I got a Jeep Wrangler that is two years old and I have over 60,000 miles. 
right? Mm-hmm. I, it is not, it's not uncommon, Brian, for me <laughs> to drive an hour and a half to L.A., do a 15-minute set at the Lab Factory, get right back in the car and do an hour and a half home. Right? Yep. That's just, the, you know, and yeah. people ask me all the time, Brian, they say, how can you go an hour and a half do, you know, to do 15 minutes? And I say, you're right. I said, I'm driving an hour and a half to do what I love. I said, you know what's scarier than that? Some people have gotten a house right by their job. So they drive five minutes to do something they hate. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll drive an hour and a half to do something I love all day long. I'd rather that than walk two minutes to do something <laughs> I hate for eight hours a day. That's Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've driven uh, up to Ventura, uh, yeah. which from San Diego is three and a half to four hours, depending on traffic. Depending on and, traffic, right. Yeah. And then I did a five minute audition set and then yeah. turned around and drove home. You know, that's so like you, right. that's and, what you do. That's what you do. And let me, again, for the, any younger comics that may be watching, same thing that you just said. I did an hour and a half drive to Hermosa <laughs> Beach, did a five-minute audition set, drive an hour and a half home. Never heard anything back. Didn't even know who was in the audience. Two months later, I get an email out the blue from the booker at the Comedy Cellar. She says, Trent, I want to book you for a week in, in Vegas. Wow. And so my point for saying that is don't let anybody – poo-poo on those five-minute sets. Yeah. Don't let, you know, take those five-minute sets. Important, you never know who's in the audience. You never know how it'll impact your career and your life and all those good things. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy yeah. that you can, even if it's not uh, a booker, it could be another comic, you know, like yourself, and you go, hey, you know, and you hit it off and go, hey, let me introduce you to this. And I mean, that's how I got introduced to my manager was yeah. through another comic at this bar. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they weren't there that night, but I met the comic and they were like, hey, and let me introduce you to this person. They introduced me to ended up being my agent. And then I ended yeah. up getting all this, you know, part of this giant part of my career that had I turned that gig down, you know, it's just a bar gig or whatever. Right. And, you know, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have gotten it. You wouldn't. Have um, so so let me ask you this. What is the best piece of advice you've received uh, about stand up? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, probably a little bit what I kind of just just alluded to. That's mm-hmm. that same mentor again. He wasn't eighty three at the time. He's he's eighty three now. But at the time, he said to me, "Trenton, don't write about what they see. Write about what they don't see." And I just love that. And so now I, I never start a premise with black people do this or I'm black or blah blah blah. I don't start a premise with that. Now that may be. Now look, I I also don't do this. I also don't totally disengaged from being African-American because basically comedy is talking about my perspective. My set is my perspective and to not be black in America and to pretend like that doesn't exist would would not be authentic to the audience. Mm -hmm. I I don't disengage from being black, but I don't allow that to be the the premise itself. Right. Um, One of my best jokes that people are most know me for is my black band-aids joke. I was just going to bring that up. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so that joke didn't start about, Hey, I'm black. The joke was a very honest truth. I have a black daughter and I could not find black band-aids. So obviously races permeates all race permeates all the way through the joke, but right. it's not a joke about black people do it. It's a joke that, that tells a really good story. And so fun, fun fact, right? Here we go. Four years later, I've written the joke five years, six years. Later, I've written the joke. People know, know me for the joke, blah, blah, blah. This past year, Johnson and Johnson releases black band-aids. Do you wow. know how many DMs I got that said your joke changed the world? You you did it, Trent. You fought <laughs> at least at least Brian twenty emails from different people or DMs 
your joke did it, Trent, blah, blah, blah. And so that's my point, right? As right. I try, that piece of advice really spoke to me, right? I try to talk about my insecurities and the things that they don't. So people see an African-American male. Normally, I'm in a suit. So they think suave, cool, ladies, man. What they don't think is insecure, dad, right. uh, not great at relationships, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I talk, I try to talk about the things that they don't see. So, mm. Yeah. Well, it's and I think what I what I like about that too is uh, that's one thing I've I've always that I just I leave the room when I start hearing black people do this, white people do this, Latino people. Do, I I just immediately I just shut right off um, because yeah. it's to me it's divisive. And yes, there are there are things culturally and racially and uh, within our worlds that we all uh, do. But again, if you can touch on those emotions and those underlying feelings the insecurity yeah. or the being a dad how many people know what being a dad doesn't matter if you're black or white or asian or you know latino uh it doesn't matter you know uh for me that uh, some people don't have facial paralysis it's right. it's they they have that uh self-image issues yeah you know yeah. so it's like those underlying things that's what really connects and yeah. that's what makes you stand out as opposed to well, you know, uh, black people, we, we eat chicken and, and, yeah. and, and uh, Italians, we, you know, we eat pizza and, you know, it's, I just, I've never, I've never been a big fan of that. Now, some people love that and that's great. And there's an audience right. for everybody in every style. Yeah. So I'm not saying, yeah. you know, you shouldn't do it. It's just a, a personal preference. And to me, that's what makes it more original is it's like, okay, getting to know Trenton as a person Yes, uh, or, or what you allow on stage, or you portray as yourself as a person on stage. Yes, that to me speaks much more um, and connects much more than like, here's this. I don't want to call it superficial. Yeah. Um, low you hanging know, fruit. Yeah, the low hanging fruit. Like let's yeah. let's you know let's connect, and so I can go, man, I totally relate to you, even though we have completely different backgrounds and completely different lives, and um, that's what I love about comedy too is we connect with all these people that we would never be friends with normally if it weren't through that love of comedy. Yeah. And then, and then you learn and you go, Oh wait, you had this go on in your life. Like, and you, you connect and it. It's so cool that way. You know? I agree. And I, I want to, I want to, I want to bring up two things based on what you said. Cause I could not agree more. Uh, so we were talking about specials earlier on. We talked about the top five specials and definitely one of mine. And, and yes, I'm saying this because of funny, but I'm also saying this because of artistic brilliance would be the Chris Rock special. I can't remember the name. The one he did in Harlem, London, and South Africa. Mm. And so you have to think about everything you just said, Brian, the level of, of digging he's doing to get to a human, human uh, commonalities where you can do the exact same set in London that you do in Harlem, that you do in South Africa, and everybody get it. Right. Right. I, mean, I don't know. if I'm sure you have. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to perform like over in Canada or Mexico. But I mean, it's a different culture. And so certain right. things they don't get. Right. And so to be able to do the exact same hour. I mean, if you remember the set, they were they would cut it in mid joke and he'd be doing the end of the joke in South <laughs> Africa, then be doing the joke in London. It was artistic brilliance. Mm. to me. Brian, it's so brilliant. I think about it for myself. It's scary, the idea that I now have to write something that's so unique, but also so common. So so unique enough to be a great special, but common enough that all these three vastly different demographics get it. Mm -hmm. right? I think that I, I'm telling you, yeah. 
as far as brilliance, again, I'm not saying necessarily the level of funny because I thought it was funny, but you know, whatever. But brilliance, that's top three for me. Top two or yeah. three. I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible if you're if you're capable of pulling that off. I think yeah. that's a, a really good goal to have if you want to really blow up and be able to perform globally and just you know connect because that's that's what it's all about. Like I do, I do a lot of impressions and yes, but there are some places that have no idea what the Simpsons are or they yeah. have no idea what that is. So, yeah. you know, you need that other material that's going to go, oh, okay, this is how we can, we can connect and know you. So that, that's exactly right. And, and also to your point, you talked about just meeting people from all over. And, and I would say this, oh, again, I'm always talking to young comics. I, I'm always, so, so my passion is comedy. That's my passion. Mm -hmm. My purpose, the reason I'm on earth, is to encourage people to chase their dream. And so I, I get to have that conversation almost once a day, somehow, some way. Um, but but in, in doing so, I say to and I encourage young people and I say, listen, chasing your dream will take you places you never thought you'd go, introduce you to people you never thought you'd meet, and allow you to do things you never thought you would do. And that is the beauty of chasing a dream. It won't necessarily guarantee money. It won't necessarily right. guarantee fame but it will guarantee you a life worth living. And I really believe that. I I'm with you a thousand yeah. percent on that. And yeah. we could we could do a whole episode just on chasing your dreams. Just on that is, yeah, I'm, I'm writing a book, I'm almost finished, but I'm writing a book with a comedic slant called Don't Quit Your Day Job. That just talks about just that, talks about the, uh, the importance of maybe keeping a day job so you have money, but also coupling that with chasing your dream, coupling that with, if you're a musician, you don't have to be Van Halen, right? Just be the local musician, right? If you're an artist, be the lo but do what you love because you that is what wakes us up in the morning, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a thousand a thousand percent yes to that. And like I said, we could we could do a whole other show on that. Um, for sure. uh, so let's uh, get back into uh, the comedy for a second. What is your writing process like? Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's, it's funny how and if, Brian, I'm sure the same with you. So I'd love to hear yours as well. Um, it, it morphs as you as you become more experienced, it morphs. And so when I took the writing class and I took the uh, comedy class, my uh, first book I bought was um, I, I was something like How to Do Stand-Up Comedy by Greg, uh, I forget, but it was, uh, it was How to Do Stand-Up Comedy. It was a book and it taught you the, the basic formula premise setup punch. And so many young comics don't have that basic foundation. To this day, right? And I, I, call, I don't know if you in in school if you ever had to take an accounting class, mm -hmm. but in, if you, if you didn't pass accounting one, you were never going to make it to accounting two and accounting three because accounting one was all of it was was structured on the basics. All of it lay on the foundation. So you don't get the foundation, you won't get accounting. Same thing with comedy. People don't realize premise setup punch. If you don't have a surprise, I don't care how whatever this. If you don't have a surprise, eventually you will leave the audience hanging, right? Mm -hmm. That's also, by the way, when you talk about seven people or 700 people, if you have good writing, you can make seven people laugh and you can make it feel like it's having a ball time of your life. You have good luck. So having said that now, I know that I want to go premise setup punch. So then I start with that the difference between now and 2007 is in 2007, younger comics take what's funny and then try to retell it on stage. A guy fail, oh, I'm gonna make it funny. Uh, a male has an orgasm, oh, I'm gonna make it funny. A person farts, oh, I'm gonna make, you're just retelling something that's inherently funny. A more experienced comic 
and goes back to what we talked about, about saying, hey, I don't want to talk about the person in the front row because I have something to say. A more experienced comic takes what he or she wants to talk about and then makes it funny. Right. And so you can take talk, take something that's not inherently funny. It's not inherently funny that I can't find black band-aids for my daughter. It's not inherently funny that me and my ex went through a nasty breakup. It's not inherently funny. But I'm now taking that, saying, OK, I'm putting it in this uh, formula, this joke formula, premise setup punch and making it funny. And so that's what I really love now about where I'm at in my career is I can take what I whatever whatever I want to talk about, what's really important to me, and we'll talk about it with the Innocence Project and and and, and African Americans uh, disproportionately being being jailed and criminalized. That's not inherently funny. How do I bring that to the public to the public eye without preaching? Is I talk mm -hmm. about it and then I make it inherently funny, and or I make it funny, and that's the art of comedy. Yeah, and it's uh, I I agree with you. Like, how do you make facial paralysis funny? That's you know, it. Like that that's is it. not that is not a funny topic. However, that's it. You know, and that's yeah. uh, so you're bringing awareness. You're bringing you know um, that sort of thing. That social awareness. You're bringing um, some open dialogue. You're opening dialogue, yes. and you're also saying that like, hey, this can still be funny. We can still laugh about things. Yes. And, and that's, those sort of things. So, Ron, I, Ron, do you tend to feel like you have to acknowledge it early on in your set? Like, I got to acknowledge this because people are going to wonder anyway. So, I'm going to go it head on. I used to do that, and then it was um, it was a little awkward because it's an awkward topic right off the bat. So, what I do is I kind of go with more of the weight, which is also another visual thing, and I kind of get them into like who I am, my personality, and then I switch. And then I go into the facial paralysis. So I kind of get them going like, hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm comfortable. I'm competent. You're safe with, you know, yeah. with these jokes. But um, when I do auditions uh, or, if, you know, for like sh short uh, sets for like uh, AGT or America's Good Talent or whatever, uh, I have to just open with it. And yeah. it's it's, yeah. A, it's a much weirder vibe. Um, and I'm thinking about trying to just go ahead and open with it in the beginning once I, we get back just to see – how that affects things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but where it's built in now, I've already built in that goodwill with the the weight stuff, and then I go into the face stuff, and I go because it's also not as noticeable uh, on me as some other people, so I can okay. kind of get away with that. Yes. Uh, and so then I just say, some of you may have noticed I have facial paralysis, and then I yeah. and then the room just you know shuts right up. <laughs> yep. And then you just hit them with a you know a couple of quick punchlines they they go with it and then they go oh, okay it's okay to laugh yes 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 yeah i i found i mean i, I don't have that particular thing but i found if there's any ever anything going on mm -hmm. you it's best to acknowledge it head on um, yeah I, I was doing a show in san francisco obviously not the same thing doing a show in san francisco bay area uh, i'm headlining it's one of those shows you're headlining but you don't want to be the end because the show is going so long that you know by the time you get up that you're going to be tired and this particular one, Brian, oh, we got horror stories we could tell each other. <laughs> this particular one, right as the host is getting ready to bring me up, a girl in the front row throws up because of alcohol. Throw up. Up. I mean, it's it's right. I mean, coming to the stage. <laughs> and not only do you have this girl in the front throwing up, everybody knows the smell of throw up makes everybody else want to throw up. And he brings me on rather than being a host and say, okay, let me 
let me keep the mic for another 15, 10 minutes while they do this. He's like, all right, Trent, good luck. <laughs> and uh, I and so I get the mic and I, you know, you know, I start and I was like, you know, I'm not even gonna do this. And I said, I'm just gonna acknowledge this, spend time on this. Yeah. And so I just spent the first 10, 15 minutes riffing while they the people come in, get her out, clean it up, try to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Then 15 minutes later, I say, okay, guys, now, but you, you got to acknowledge it. You yeah. got to come in. Yeah, you can't be a robot. If something yeah. like that is happening, you you have to acknowledge that it's, it's something's going on in the room. You, otherwise, yeah. you completely disconnect that's with exactly. the, the audience. That's so, exactly. yeah, that's, so if something like that does happen, then yeah. Or, or sometimes uh, when I go up, I'll maybe reference something that the comic before me or a couple comics before me said just to kind of show them that like, hey, I'm here. You know, I'm watching the show too. Um, yeah, know, yeah. Just going in and going right to the jokes or whatever. So yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, because I, I generally don't like uh, I don't like doing crowd work. I don't like um, anything like that. I don't I like like interacting with the crowd at, at all. So <laughs> I really like don't. Well, because because in Boston in in Boston we weren't allowed to. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they were like, no, no, no crowd work. You know, like if something happened like that, someone throws up or or a glass breaks or, or something, you can you can do that. But that whole thing of like, so where are you from and what yeah. do you do and what's like, no, they they're like, we want jokes, we want jokes, we want jokes. We want. How did life. Patrice get away with it for so long? <laughs> Patrice, but Patrice uh, stepped on a lot of toes because he would. Uh, <laughs> that was and then, quick, wasn't it? Yeah, and then once you get to headliner, they were a little more lenient, and it was certain clubs. Certain clubs were okay with it. And then Patrice would just – he'd go up and do two hours, and they'd be like, get off stage. And he's like, eh, I'm not – you know, <laughs> I'm just going to do this. And oh, so he would get yelled at all the time, but he yeah. didn't care. But yeah. when he started, he was clean. He was a clean comic when he started. Really? Yeah, he was a clean comic, and then I, I saw him when he wasn't. But uh, people who know him really well said he was he was very clean when he started, and yeah. And then he just went, "No, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna go do what I do." I, I love how, and I'm not saying clean or dirty, but I, I just love how as we grow as humans, we grow as comedians, and it changes our style. And it mm -hmm. and because Patrice really got to a point where he ended up just being a a what I would call a humanologist. He would just talk about different human realities and different human uh, 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 things that we do on a regular basis, especially inside relationship. You know, he would say, mm -hmm. he would say this all the time. I just remember him saying all the time, I got a PhD in women. I know what women do. I know, you know, in relationship, I know how to, you know, and I, I just loved it, man. I love it. So let me ask you about this. This is kind of a go off topic here. Yeah. Um, as you see comedians build up, so people like Patrice and Bill Burr and those sort yeah. of uh, things, you know, in the beginning, we're all very set up punch, set up punch, set up punch, set up punch. And then as they expand, whether that's because of having written eight hours of material and running yeah. out of topics or whatever, they get a little bit more, um, like you said, humanologist. Yes. Uh, yeah. A little bit more that their setups become a lot longer. Um you know the frequency of the punchlines are are aren't quite as as there uh, yeah. unless you're doing like a, a short set, but you get them to see them up there and they'll they'll talk for you know a couple minutes and have you know punchlines here and there, but it's not yeah. that same rapid yeah. fire. Yeah. Um, do you do you see that as just part of the evolution of as you get there, or how did? Because to me, I I always debate that because. Yeah, I think when you want to talk about like serious issues or or bigger issues, it 
it seems a lot harder to just go, you know, set a punch, set a punch, set a punch. There needs yeah. to be a little bit of massaging and nuance. Yeah. So this, that's a great question. This is this is my thought, and I, I'm not famous, so I'm not there yet. But this is my belief on that: is when you're not famous, when you're not famous, you do you're doing your setup punch because the audience didn't inherently come to see you. Right. They came to a club, and me or you happened to be there. So they don't want to hear necessarily about your life as much as they want to hear about they want to they want to laugh, right? right? Once you get a level of fame, Bill Burr, Louis C.K., Kevin Hart, Dave Chappelle, because America is nothing but a one great big high school and it's either the cool kids or not, they want to really get to know their celebrity. That's why we have reality shows. They want to get to, that's why Twitter and Instagram is so big because they they are now, everybody now is one degree of separation from their celebrity. Mm -hmm. I can, now, it doesn't mean they'll respond, but I can tweet to Bill Cosby. I can tweet to Deion Cole. I can tweet to Dave Chappelle. And so then it goes from, yeah, we know you're an artist. We know you're great. I just want to hear about your life. I just want to hear Dave Chappelle talk about being Dave Chappelle. That's mm -hmm. why then you have those Dave Chappelle stories and Kevin Hart stories. These people want to hear it. So that's right. my, again, there's no right or wrong, but that's my belief, right? Yeah, that makes I, sense. I have certain bits. I really do. I have certain bits that I call after famous bits that, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to do this right now. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to do it later. So uh, here's my favorite question. Uh, what was your worst show ever? Yeah. All right. If, if you let, if you allow me, I want to answer that in two ways. If you will allow me, I'm going to say first way was, uh, and this is very early on. This is probably 2008, maybe 2009. I know I was still in Chicago, so it had to be before 2010. And I got booked to, I don't know who the heck was thinking this. I got booked to perform at the country music festival in <laughs> in Rockford, Illinois. If anybody knows Chicago, Rockford is about an hour and a half northwest of Chicago. It's not in Chicago. It's not. It is. Well, it's a country music festival. So I mean, there's people on horses. There's people in motorcycles. It's long. It looks like the Republican National Convention. That's what it looks like. All right. It looks like a QAnon convention. And I go up and. It was like uh, the scene in 48 Hours where the record is a new sheriff in town. It goes by the name of Reggie Hammond. And I remember just like, what am I going to do? And I go up and I tell my first joke. And at the time, it was a joke about Obama. And they bust out laughing. And actually, it was a good show. So it wasn't the worst show, but it was the scariest for sure at the time. Absolute worst show. Worst show was in the same, same, around the same time period in my career. I got asked to host... On every Friday and Saturday, I got asked to host this place called Outriggers, which was a fish restaurant in the south side of Chicago, which would be the exact opposite of the country music <laughs> It was in, the, let's just call it what it is. It was a very black part of town, very ethnic, um, urban, as we say, urban show. <laughs> and uh, it's an urban show. And so I, uh, oof. I, uh, uh, I'm doing this show. Something back up. Because I started in the Northwest suburbs, I started around mostly white people. I started in what we would call mainstream rooms. I didn't do black rooms. 
And my and I went to high school. My high school was ninety six percent white. So I've been around mostly white people for the majority of my life. And so I was uncomfortable in the beginning doing comedy around all black rooms. I was uncomfortable. And so when I got the offer to do this hosting there, the truth is I was frightened out of my mind. But I knew I said, Trenton, if you do this in a year, you'll be able to overcome black room in a year. You'll be able to overcome that fear. And so, and I, Brian, when I tell you I had bad shows every weekend, I had bad shows every weekend, bad shows every weekend. I was not good. I wouldn't, I, they, they saw I was uncomfortable, so they didn't see me as one of them. I was uncomfortable. I didn't feel like I was one of them, and it just was bad. Over and over, every Friday and every Saturday was bad. This one particular night, it was really bad. And the guy got so mad that I wasn't good. He came on stage and tried to fight me. And I was like, oh, it was, I, was, I had to get out of here. But now, having said that, what I do want to say is this. Fast forward, that was like, let's say, 08. Fast forward, January 2020, before my uh, before the COVID hit, I performed all week at the Soul Train comedy, uh, Soul Train Cruise. Uh, so I was the featured comedian on the Soul Train Cruise. So if people like the Jacksons without Michael, um, uh, uh, Johnny Gill, um, Peebo Bryson, nothing but African-American, 95% African-American uh, um, theme ship. And I'm the comedian, featured comedian, and I killed it. And so I think about that and I say, if there was no outriggers, there could have been no soul train. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's my truth. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We are, uh, we're talking with uh, Trenton Davis, uh, yeah. extremely funny comedian. And right. I know you're going to go in a few minutes, so we're going to hit up your uh, thing, but we'll definitely want to have you back so we can, we can talk more about some of the stuff. Yeah. Man. Uh, so you can follow Trenton on uh, all social media at Trenton comedy. Uh, check him out at Trenton T R E N T O N comedy. Trenton Davis is, uh, is our guest. And uh, we want to talk real quickly uh, on the, um, the organization that you wanted to spotlight. If you can tell us a little bit about the innocence project. Yeah, thank you, Brian, for having me so much. Uh, people, if you don't know, um, watch a movie called Brian Banks. It's a really good movie about a young African-American who was wrongly convicted of rape and he ended up going to prison and blah, blah, blah. But the way he was able to uh, get out and clear his name was through an organization actually uh, right here in, uh, in California called The Innocence Project. And that organization, there's a group of lawyers and using uh, DNA and different kind of testing, they've now gone and 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 it helped set free, you know, some, a big number of of, of uh, convicts or felons who were actually innocent. And so, mm. it's something I, it's just near and dear to my heart. African Americans are disproportionately policed and disproportionately convicted, and then when convicted of a similar crime, given longer sentences. And so, uh, and this is something that's near and dear to my heart. And so, please, uh, if you don't mind, please donate to the Innocence Project. I always said if I got big and famous that would be my uh that would be my key charity that i really get behind and push so brian thanks again for having me uh i, I have so much fun talking with you and connecting with you we yeah. don't do stuff. and uh, i look forward to doing it again man i really do absolutely and again one more time uh, check out innocent project at innocenceproject.org that's innocenceproject.org uh, check out Trenton uh, at Trenton Comedy and Trenton thank you so much man i really appreciate it i know you got to run let's uh let's meet up again and we'll get this uh we'll get this finished and we'll do it hey let me say can i say one more thing real big absolutely my second album is coming out september 18th people it'll be on itunes it'll be on title it'll be on spotify sirius xm please 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 go to itunes and download my new my new album album is entitled 
at Trenton Comedy. It's an hour, very funny material. So please come out and uh, or please go out and like I said, September 18th and uh, and download the new album. Thanks, Brian. Right. My pleasure, man. We'll talk to you soon. And uh, thanks everybody for watching and tuning in. We'll see you soon, Trenton. All right, thanks, buddy. All right, bye bye.